everybody. Welcome to Backlogs. My name is Shane Shepson. I'm a writer and an arts manager in Singapore. With me today, we have Serene. Hi everyone, my name is Serene Chen. I'm an actress and very happy to be one half of Backlogs hosting team. So Shalene, what is Backlogs all about? So Backlogs is a series of conversations about the evolving practice of arts management in Singapore. So through dialogues with cultural workers who are integral to the growth of the arts, we shed light on the unsung world of the arts manager and discover just what it means to enable the arts behind the scenes. So what is actually this endearing term that we have now called arts management? Just to give everyone a kind of sense, it's broadly defined as enabling the arts to happen. Ha! So this can be anyone who acts as a connector between artists and audiences, but also producers and your technical crew, yourself, Charlene. All these are individuals whose roles involve creating some kind of problem solving and building bridges between artists and the audience and maintaining this lovely arts ecosystem. I had a thought about how in Singapore at least they don't always go by the term arts managers Mm -hmm. and I think it's a reflection of the different roles that they play in the arts ecology. So you have your business development managers, you have your like general managers or company managers Mm -hmm. and then you have your production managers like you mentioned you know or even you have your arts managers who are working in uh, the Arts Council specifically. And they all have different roles and different. they're all looking at different things, whether it's policy or whether it's the actual day-to-day or if it's going out to meet other companies so that we can create cross-collaboration events. Yeah, I think that is so true. I, I think of the stage manager who also rigs the lights and who also comes down and adjusts the tape on the floor, the markings, and then tells the set designer that mm, this part It's got shadows sticking out, blocking my actor. This is the other thing about their terminology, the way that they speak. My actor, my dresser, right? That there's this kind of taking care of the people whom whom they are overseeing. It's quite nice. It's a sense of tribe. Yeah, (laughs) and I think it's also interesting how it's not just maybe the people that you would normally associate with who the art measure takes care of, but also the other peripheral people in the arts that you may not necessarily think of, whether it's the booksellers, whether it's the editors, whether it's the marketing person that you're also working with. And I think it's very important to kind of when we're talking about arts managers, to kind of expand that idea of who we work with or who we engage with. Yeah. And as you were saying that about about the literary industry and and then the theatre as well, I'm also reminded that there are some of these roles that we automatically think of people for, but they may not even have a name at this point in time. For example, every organisation, particularly an arts organisation, needs a person who knows lobangs Mm. or has the ability to get discounts. So important. (laughs) And there's no name for this person. Very interesting as we talk about people who fill these roles. The bigger term for it would be ancillary roles, but definitely so important for this thing that we call arts management. I think for myself as an actor, the arts manager is the problem solver, is the person that I go to when I have a problem that I can't solve. An example is that I remembered when I wanted to come back to work and and rehearse for plays and then I was breastfeeding. Yes, yes. Uh, Very unglamorous. I would go to the arts manager and say, okay, so I can't rehearse from this time to this time because it would be four hours and I would have to go and pump my milk out and this this person will make it happen. Yeah, and I think a lot of times when people think of arts managers, they maybe think of like 
purely stage managers, so mm-hmm. you know, so what happens behind the scenes. But there's so much more to the work, right? There's a curation of work. There is the inviting, or in, in my case, I call it the stalking of people to look for because you have names that you want to invite. But then you have to find a way to contact them. And this is a bit easier now that there's social media. But even then, it's sometimes not so easy. The, the arts manager is the one with the tentacles, the tendrils, the one who, who reaches out and finds those connections. Yeah, and then after you make those connections happen, then there's all the work that actually involves for the event or post-event as well, whether it's conversations you want to bring to the stage or to the table as well. That's right. So this is an entire ecosystem of people that we uh, want to, to discover and actually collect their memories and the oral histories. Why is this important? I think one of the things that we talked about in our discussions leading up to when we were developing backlogs. We were thinking that there's actually a lack of information about the arts manager in Singapore. Would you agree? I think definitely. Firstly, there are maybe a few schools in which you could learn arts management. But then if you go to like a Chinese New Year reunion and your relatives ask you, oh, what do you do? And then you say arts manager and they're like, why is that? Do you direct the stage? And we're like, no, 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 that's a director's work, right? I mean, I think also with arts management, like within that span as well, if I go to a school and be like, oh, you know, I'm looking for like interns for my workplace and we're a lit arts organisation, they'll be like, oh, actually our interns only know how to do the music, arts management for music or for theatre. We're not quite sure how to like bring them to a lit arts organisation itself. But there's so much arts management that has to happen in the literary arts as well. Yeah, so I think there's always room to learn more about it. And I think what's more important is the history of arts managers and how the practice being professionalised. Because even if there's no standard operating procedure, right? Because we're all like Swiss army knives, you know? <laughs> Nothing, like there's no one way that fits. It, every, it changes with each production that we have, with each event that we might need to do as well. Yeah, so I think it's just interesting for me to try and also understand the shared community of practice and understanding what came before. You know, what is the history to some of the practices that I'm doing right now? Why things are the way they are? Mm -hmm. And also like the pandemic, which is a very relevant thing around us. How does that change our practices moving forward? Sure. And I think for me as an actor, I I think it's easy in that sense to find reviews, pictures, articles written about theatre performances, dance performances, things like that. Those are the things that are captured because they're very much upfront. And you're right, the people, the, the people who sit in the roles which are very clear, like the director or the actors or the stage managers, they, those have a label. The arts manager doesn't really, given that culture has always been important to the state, I think arts managers really need to be put to the forefront because we are continuing to develop the arts in Singapore and um, when this generation of arts managers decides to pass the baton, there must be people to pass the baton to. Yeah, and that leads straight into capability development. So one of the things that we're hoping with this podcast series is really to groom future arts managers and intermediaries to give them background knowledge and context-specific knowledge of what we've done, what has worked in the past, what has not worked, so that we can all kind of grow together as a community. Great. So we have a lot to talk about. Mm. Where shall we start from? I feel like there's a big elephant in the room, which is in the first place, what is arts management to you? Right? Because we're talking about how arts management is evolving and there's so many different things and so many definitions. What does it mean to you? What does arts management mean to me? After that anecdote that I first threw in, I think... Arts management is actually the act of making the arts happen. And the arts is so diverse, 
right? You are from the literary scene. You began in the theatre scene, though. I did. So I think way back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was part of a youth drama group. Yeah, and so we would meet every Sunday, and that's where I learned to act. But also, we did a lot of back-end technical theatre things. We were learning how to do things like lighting, what does it mean to be an arts manager, or just behind the scenes, like with the stage and things like that. Mm. So I, I would say that was probably my first taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then eventually I moved into the literary arts where, you know, I did spoken words. So there was open mics, events and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think for myself... When I first started doing theatre, there were definitely very few roles backstage-wise. And in the admin side of things, I think there were also much fewer. When I rocked up for rehearsal, there wouldn't be so many people around. But I think it's very different looking at the current situation. When you come for a first read, there are like 30 people in the room, depending on the company, of course. Sometimes there can be as many as 30. And then everybody seems to have a quite a well-established role because I think that the role of the arts manager has actually grown over the years. So you can actually take charge of many things. It could be on the stage. It could be behind the stage. It could be really from, from your home as well in terms of marketing. So really very diverse. One of my earliest memories, and I have a couple... One of my earliest memories was the late Elsa Lim, and she worked for a company called Action Theatre. And she worked very closely with Ekachai Okram Thang, and he works as a film director now in Thailand. Uh, What was very interesting was that she was really picking up all the publicity pieces. She would get us to go for magazine shoots and things like that. And that was quite different for me because before that, all the theatre that I had done was very guerrilla style. It was very sort of school-based. So... It was like, wow, this is quite special. I'm getting my photo taken. Someone's doing my makeup and things like that. So this was one of my first experiences. Another very memorable experience that I had was also early times. This was in maybe 1990, I'm going to say. I think it's 1994. I could be mistaken. And this was where The Necessary Stage took a Mandarin play that we had done here to Taiwan. It was the first touring show that I had ever done. And I remembered that we went with a very lean team because it was like, okay, with this amount of money, so it's either we go with the set or we go with the full number of actors or we the costumes will have to be like that, no no more, no less. And that was fine because we were all very psyched up. We went to Taiwan and it was great because it was... Um, the, the, the weather was turning chilly and all that. And so it was very collegiate. It was like we were a bunch of friends going for this uh, tour together and putting up a play at the same time. Uh, the interesting thing, however, was that we were on standby about 15 minutes to the show and our stage manager, who was also the production manager and the costume person, Lee Xia Ang, she was my classmate in university. By then, we had just graduated. I remembered 15 minutes to the show, my co-actor his button from his pants fell out. Okay, what, what do we do? And at that time, we, we didn't have handphones, so I couldn't call her and tell her that this had happened, but she had to delay the house. So we had to, luckily for us, we found uh, somebody who was in the backstage and we said, hey, so-and-so, do you think you could run to the sound box and tell her that this has happened? And she basically held the house and then she ran all the way backstage. Um, she quickly took out her sewing kit. We didn't even know where the sewing kit was. She took out the sewing kit, she threaded the needle, and then she sewed that button back. And then she ran out to call the cues. She was a true blue like arts manager because she handled everything. She handled everything. It's called Pao Ka Liao, right? And I think the amazing thing I have to share with everyone is that we opened the house on time. Wow. 15 minutes. 
I think based on what you're saying as well, arts measure is definitely like a connector or a bridge between the different things that happen as well. I think shortly after that, after working in the youth theatre group that we were in, I started actually, I was in poly. And so just after I graduated, which was in 2005, I think that's the first time I heard or saw what an arts manager, a program manager did. I was working for NUS Centre for the Arts as a marketing assistant. And so I got to really see what it was like to put up an event and I was like wow there are jobs like this I wish I had a job like this back then or I I wish I knew that you could study for jobs like this kind of thing and I think it's exciting for a young person to be discovering all these things and in the corporate world they would call it networking and I suppose this is our version of networking because you're getting to understand who is from what company what style they have how they work and who they could put you in touch with so in my earliest job I was working for the arts radio station then called Passion 99.5 And this was a collaboration between the National Arts Council and uh, then Radio Corporation of Singapore. So I was like a shared employee in that sense. Very interesting because at that point in time, I would always, it would be normal to interview people every day, right? So it, it depended on whether or not it was an actor, a singer, a dancer that was interviewing or maybe a director, but sometimes also an arts manager. And that was where I think I met some of the most, should I say, pivotal movers and shakers of those times. And and we'll get to the times and the time periods very soon. I think I met people who were at the point in time working towards the opening and the building of the Esplanade. So very interesting. I met some local arts managers. I also met some who came in from Australia, Jeff Street, uh, who was helping to put together the Esplanade. I also met um, Nina St. George Sweet, who was back then, she was with uh, British Council. So these were people that were... I felt very fortunate, very lucky to be speaking to um, as a young person who was entering, you know, her first job. Another person that I met was uh, Ms. Ng Siu Eng. Singapore Dance Theatre, and even at the Singapore Lyric Opera, the late Mr. Liao Xiaofa. So, wow, all this, bringing back a lot of memories. Yeah, but that also reminds me of, I think when you're just starting in the arts and everyone is new to you, I remember how grateful I would be with someone who'd be like, oh, you know, you should meet this person. And then, you know, they'll just be like, oh, you really like this this element, or oh, you write about environment, or you write about the heritage, then I should connect you with this person. And then from there, like, an event forms, right? Like, that, there's this magic in, like, bringing people together and to draw out the teams of like, oh, if you like this, then you should meet this person. And I feel like that's such an important role in the whole ecology of the arts, right? Just bringing together the different things, especially in Singapore where the arts, I guess, traditionally could be quite siloed, right? So the theatre would be doing their own thing, the lit arts does their own thing, visual arts do their own thing. And I think in the last few years, you can actually see the bridging setting to happen. And I think a lot of it has to do with arts management as well. This, this going out of your comfort zone and bring people in to invite a new audience in or to bring your art out into a larger like context. I think it's a good time for us to focus on the content of Backlogs. So we'll have eight episodes packed with stuff. We'll be interviewing people, movers and shakers, the pioneers. What else will our listeners be able to expect content-wise? We first need to see Backlogs as this big project that will be eventually filled with many moments in time of arts management. But for these first eight episodes, we're looking at this particular period in time in the 1980s where we started to professionalise the role of the arts manager. So the other broad periods which we won't be looking at uh, in these eight episodes will be the beginning period, 1965 period, where we call it taking root, where arts management starts to take root, where the arts starts to take root in the post-independent Singapore 
post-1980s, I think we're also looking at 1995 onwards because there was some diversification and globalization. More groups, more theatre companies, our books and things like that were also travelling overseas, getting a new audience as well. So that's the post-1995 period, diversification, globalization. 2012 onwards, this word community started to become very important, right? There was a bit more collaboration, less silo, as you were mentioning earlier on. And also maybe less like production, right? So the idea of communities is also kind of like more process-based work, which is a very interesting development in our current times as well. Hmm. Yeah. Circling back to what you can expect. Like, so those are all the four time periods. But within the 1980s that we're kind of looking at for the eight episodes, each episode would be an audio recording with at least one key person that we consider as someone working behind the scenes. And they either helped to enable the literary arts or the theatre ecosystem to flourish during the 1980s to the mid 1990s. Sometimes it'll be with one person, sometimes it'll be with a group of them. This is a podcast, so we're very interested in excavating the oral history. Now, oral history is interesting. I came across oral history really as a term to be banded when I started my first job in radio. Uh, the medium was about sound anyway. Oral history was a way to capture the the past, right? So, for example, the earliest radio personalities like your Lee Tai So and things like that. Why is oral history wonderful? Oral history is an established, is a credible research method. It's used to systematically collect memories and knowledge of past events and periods. We are able to get close with interviewees with personal experience, right? Uh, in this case, of what goes on behind the scenes, such as the day-to-day -day operations, the activities required to enable the artistic process. We will also get the interviewees' spoken first opinions and insights on the historically significant events. And I think this is going to be very interesting because if you look, if you compare this with, um, say, newspaper cuttings, those tend to be headlines and just major highlights. Yeah, I think I'm really interested in the in-depth account of the experiences because a lot of my work as a writer as well is delving into these oral archives um, and oral histories and creating work from them to kind of bring the rich of what they're saying into text. So I think when it comes to arts managers, that's even more interesting because I think a lot of times when we're recording on page, we are concerned about, you know, page length and things like this. And so you kind of find a way to edit it down. Well, with all histories, because we're actually talking to them, we'll also be able to really get their ideas on, on the interpretations of the events during that period of time. How did certain events within the state affect the way that they approach the arts or even maybe in spite of the things. I like that part very much because I think it really speaks to the the creativity and, and in a way the, the survival skills that our early arts uh, managers all displayed. One of the things which I think is interesting is that the oral histories will also be a very good complement and a very good resource for people who are trying to research this area. I think I've met students in my work where they're like, oh, I want to find this information, but it doesn't appear on Google. But of course, it doesn't appear on Google because actually the way that it's captured in oral history is so much richer and it's got so many details that actually uh, will take a very long time to to compile and put into, say, a Wikipedia page. Hmm. So that, that should be interesting as yeah, well. And be about stuff like the impact of the growth of our state infrastructure and how some things have been institutionalized, as well as the development and engagement of arts audiences. And these are the kind of things where if you read on your own, you're like, oh, 
okay, it's a bit dry. Yes. But to hear how someone lived and breathed within these rules that were coming up and how did they like work around it or how did it actually help them further mm. and really hear that story firsthand from someone, I think that makes it a lot more memorable. And it's I think it suddenly makes this art history part of things alive because Correct. you're actually talking to someone about it, right? Yeah. And it's, it's literally like going up to someone and we're like, I want to hear about how do you deal with the situation? Exactly. You know, like what happened and why and, and how do you come out from that then? Which is something that I think for people in my generation who were born in the 80s and above, a lot of what we are talking about in the 1980s, in this period of time anyway, I was in kindergarten, right? Up till 90, where I was just before primary school. So I haven't been able to talk to any of these people about it. No, you're absolutely right. I think it makes it uh, makes history come alive, as you say. It's a story. And I think it would make studying for exams a lot easier if we got to study in this way. When was the first time you heard of the term arts manager? This was in my first full-time job. So this was at mm. NUS Centre for the Arts. It was called a programs manager. And this was in 2005. Yeah. Prior to that, it was just kind of like you would hear of things like stage managers and lighting designers, but you never really thought of that person who is behind the scenes. And I think with most arts managers, they prefer to actually not be front and centre, right? They like to be behind the scenes. In fact, the more shadowy they can be, the better, right? which is where I prefer as well. And, and it's kind of like the person that moves things along and, and fills the gap in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think as someone who you know was born in the 80s, from the 80s to the period we're talking about was all my kindergarten and then just entering primary school. So it's very interesting for me looking back into what is essentially my childhood, how the 1980s was such a growth period for the arts. It's where we started developing audiences. It's where resources were actually spent on developing artists. And at this period of time, there were we were seeing the start of local theatres and local publishers like Landmark Books where they were actually investing into the capability development of creators as well. Hmm. We had state resources like the National Library, branch libraries going out to, you know, to areas, to lesser developed areas. We had festivals happening, local plays started coming out. I can't imagine a time now we're in like 2022 where local plays weren't a thing. And the, the fact that 1980s was the first time you actually heard something that was in your context and not imported from somewhere else or was a classic that you learned in school. How about you? I shared earlier on some names of memorable arts managers. I think for me, the arts manager in the 80s, 90s, and and back then I was in school, I would hear about them by reputation. And it would feel, I think to me on the outside, it felt like the arts managers who were remembered and talked about were the ones who were um, trailblazers. They were very strong creatively, even if they were also very strong administratively. And they were almost arm-in-arm with the artistic director of said theatre company. It was an interesting time. I think definitely as a student as well, I had the opportunity to watch plays. And and it was interesting because you also got to see people who look like you and sound like you that were on stage. So there was a lot of uh, hope and a lot of buzz generated. And I think a lot of the credit has to go to the arts managers who were really working behind the scenes. Um, They developed a a lot of the pioneering actors who began to professionalise they began to develop some of the new audience members who continued to not just patronise individually, but some actually became very long-time patrons as well. There was the beginning of state support and infrastructure, leading to arts housing being born as well, uh, arts festivals, as you mentioned earlier. So just to give some historical context to what that, that sort of pioneering arts manager was like as well. 
yeah, I'm really looking forward to our discussions. And learning a lot more about the stuff that we don't know. How has your understanding of arts management evolved from the time that you say you were in primary school till now as a person working in the scene? I don't think it existed in primary school for me. So I came from like an IJ school and we had book and music week where we would put up choral presentations. So the idea of arts management for me then was, okay, you would pick a book, you would decide what poem you would do for the choral and then you organize people. And, and what I didn't know at the time was it was called stage managing where you'd be like, okay, you speak and you point and then you know, the secret hand signals for counting one two, three, your turn, kind of thing. And then these evolves into like walkie-talkies and the, okay, actor, your next kind of thing and like the lines cue. But now like I think my understanding of art management has grown so wide and I think it also comes partly from my interest in dramaturgy and what it can be. So it's also research, it's also interpreting things, it's also making connections with people, but it's also learning to let go. I think in my earlier years when I was art manager, I was like, everything must be controlled and everything must be that. But then you see the magic happening when you let things find themselves in the serendipity of a moment or in connecting people and then seeing how that flies. Yeah, so I'm actually really interested of how that worked in the 80s. And I think with like this new generation of art managers and art creators coming up, I think it's very important for us to capture that magic of the 80s and what it was like for them mm -hmm. so that this information and this cultural knowledge can be transmitted and rather than we all start from scratch. But we're building on and making this larger tapestry of, of what arts management can, is and can be. One of the things for me is how I see arts management has as having grown, I often tell my students who are curious that let's work backwards. So if now you're holding the handphone to take down your notes, how do you think the stage manager did it before? Mm. Because it didn't exist when we were starting to perform. Now, for example, you know, lighting designers and all, they need to know AutoCAD. I think it's lighting designers only, but um, probably not. It's probably the, the stage managers as well. And before that, there was a whole lot of diagrams. You would have to print out a script, write all your cues at the side. I think my understanding of arts management is that it continues to evolve with the new hybrid type of art that we have and the kind of technologies that are coming in. I think when I first began doing theatre, there was really not much in terms of, of what you could do with multimedia, for example. But now you can create so much. And for the actor, the work has changed a little bit significantly. I can only imagine that has changed multifold for the arts manager because they're having to plan everything and then execute everything and then tear down everything as well. So that's really interesting to me. The other thing I think which is a big burden on the arts managers probably always has been it's just that as an actor I was probably blissfully unaware is the kind of budgetary responsibility yeah so much budgetary responsibility so I'm very excited and I, I hope that our listeners are also buzzed by what we have shared and that you'll join us for the eight episodes. If you have any thoughts and you'd like to contribute some content or some stories to us, we'd be so happy for you to check out our website. That's backlogs, B-A-C-K-L-O-G-U-E-S dot S-G. If you're interested in the expanded timelines of what we've talked about, for instance, outside of the 1980s, then do check out our resources page also on backlogs.sg. 
Yeah, and I think what we would really like for you to take into as part of practice as you're listening to this as well is at the end of every episode, always feel free to go back to the website. Again, that's backlogs.sg so that you can find out all the additional information to add layers to the conversation we just had with our guests. And if you're interested to continue listening to us, do look for us on your favourite podcast listening platform. And if you haven't already, you should subscribe to our feed so you know when every episode comes out. We'd always be willing to hear from you um, and your experiences, whether with arts management or anything thoughts that you have you can contact us on the website or on our social media platforms we are on instagram at badlocks.sg and if you want to share with us your thoughts we'd love to hear from you so until our next episode i'm serene and i'm charlene and this has been backlogs 